Today's episode is sponsored by Datadog, the cloud-scale monitoring service that provides comprehensive visibility into public cloud, hybrid cloud, multi-cloud environments with over 250 integrations. Datadog unifies your metrics, logs, and distributed request traces into one platform, so you can investigate and troubleshoot issues across every layer of your stack. Use Datadog's rich, customizable dashboards and algorithmic alerts to monitor cloud migrations in real time. To start a free trial today and Datadog sending you a free t-shirt, visit datadoghq.com slash cloudcast to get started. That's datadoghq.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios. Aaron, it is good to be back doing shows with you again. It's great to have you back on. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I got to do kind of the solo show last week, which was the first one in a while. And I, I had to also remember how to publish a podcast, which was pretty entertaining <laughs> behind the scenes for the two of us. Um, but yeah, now and and we're, we're getting to do both Cloud News of the Week as well as a, a show together this week. Yeah, as well, you so. uh, you've been you've been busy with uh, with with work stuff. And then last week you were you were out at Azure. So we're going to dive a little bit into Azure uh, sort of after we do Cloud News of the Week. But uh, yeah, you were out at Azure. You did the show last week. And so we're going to yep. going to dive. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of great stuff coming out of Ignite. Um, lots of good, lots of good stuff to talk about. But yeah, let's 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 uh, hit the big big cloud news first. So there's one big story in particular we should probably talk about, right, yeah, Brian? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I went back and looked. I was I was kind of looking through some some old news stuff. So as of 2016, uh, Microsoft had purportedly made a bid to buy Docker for four billion dollars, and here we are. Three years later, Docker actually got acquired here. Actually, sort of an interesting thing. So Docker, the the part of Docker that was maintaining Docker Enterprise or Docker EE got sold to Mirantis for an undisclosed amount of information or in, not in, <laughs> an undisclosed amount of revenue or dollars. Yes, yes. So, wow. Where do what we a, start? What a, what a, what a, <laughs> I mean, it's, there, there's a part of me that that looks at this and looks at the parallels to like, like we work, um, and, yeah. and goes, man, what unbelievably inflated expectations, uh, and you know, sort of how fast things crash. It, it was, it was. I mean, we were we were going to Docker cons in in fifteen and sixteen, and I think we went in seventeen. And I mean, the world was, you know, it, it was it was the old joke. You know, you went through every every keynote and you got drunk because it was all Docker, Docker, Docker. Yeah, and, and then it just stopped. It just, it, it's the craziest thing. They. Uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll give you my I'll give you my recap of sort of what I what I think happened to Docker Docker, and I'll I'll try and be as as unbiased as possible because I, I obviously my day job sort of competes against it. Um, they they built a massive community. Um, you know, they they did an incredible job of making using containers easy. They basically invented the you know the usability of containers market. They built a ton of developers. It was all about hey, we're all in this together. And then overnight, they just said. You know what? We need to start making money, and we're going to own. We're going to own the trademark. We're not going to keep accepting requests from the. You know, they, they basically sort of, you know, uh, I don't want to say shot the hostage, but they basically told the, the open source community, like, yeah, you, you figure it out on your own. We're we're going to make all the money in the community, and it just stopped at that point. And Kubernetes came along and sort of took over. Yeah, and and if nothing else, you know, take the technology completely out of it for a yep. second. It's a cautionary tale of building a community, um, building an open source model 
And then all of a sudden, what happens when it's so successful that and somebody has to figure out how to monetize it? And you had it felt to me like the monetization strategy wasn't in place because, and again, this this is how far back we go on this show with it. You know, we had Solomon on when it was dot cloud. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it, it was this thing that, oh, we, you know, we kind of built this original business and, and this one tech, and then you spun up this tech and then this tech gets super big and then you get a community around it and everyone goes, oh crap, this community is so big. We have to make money off of it. Then what? Right. Yeah. And this is just a, you know, the, a postmortem on, on how maybe not to do it. Well, um, I don't know. That's maybe going I think, a little far. I, I think, no, but, I, I think, you know, I mean, there, there's always going to be, there's going to be lots of hot takes and, and things on it. I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, I think this is, this is sort of a, if anything, it's a, I don't know, it's a, it, it's, it's sometimes we, there are things that we learn or things that patterns that we've seen and we believe that certain patterns will repeat themselves. Right. So, you know, we, back when we talked to them as dot cloud, I mean, they were a PaaS offering. So it was, it wasn't just the container stuff. It was like the developer experience. It was everything, it was, you know, the scheduler, the packaging, everything. And then it just became a feature. And then what happened was they brought in a bunch of people like on their VC board, like like Jerry Chen, and they brought in some ex-VMware people to be involved. And I think they thought, oh, we're going to replicate the VMware model, right? And that was when uh, they sort of right. went, they went from... Yep. Hey, everybody uses containers, which is analogous to VMs. I mean, you remember all the, hey, containers are going to destroy VMware sort of thing. And what they hadn't figured out was, you know, the reason VMware made all their money was not because it was VMs. It was because they they built the management plane. They built all the management tools that you absolutely had to have that VMware admins loved. And and they hadn't, they'd never figured out, you know, how do you, how do you monetize that or how do you create such an awesome experience around it? that people are, you know, that want to pay you for it. And yeah. and I think what happened was they waited so long to then kick in the sort of VMware model that, you know, there was a ton of different companies who had then figured out like, okay, we, get, we need containers, we need to schedule some stuff. Kubernetes was sort of this beginning to become a thing and people quickly went, oh, okay, if, if we collectively as a community work together in some other direction, they can't do the VMware model. And yep. so I, I, you know, I think part of it was timing. I think part of it was, you know, they probably thought they had brought in some people who had, you know, built infrastructure software as their VCs. And so they were going to lead them in the right direction. And yeah, I mean, there was, I bet if you went back and watched like the cube from 2016 and 15 and even 17, I'm sure there are people going, man, you built this amazing community. How are you going to monetize it? And it was always like, yeah, we're working on it. We're, we're working on it. And, and you can only go so long before it's like, I got to pay the bills, you know, I got to, I got to be able to yeah. get people to, to think there's value in paying for this. Now I, I completely agree. And it's, it's a fantastic assessment. The other thing I would say too, though, I, I think we knew even back then though, the valuations and the money they were pulling in were crazy. Oh yeah. Like we, I, we all, no matter how big it got, I think behind the scenes, everyone was kind of going, they got how much money? They're worth how much? That doesn't make any damn sense. Well, and so, so it, it's one of those, it's like, it, you were just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. I, I think, um, I, and valuations are always a hard thing. Cause it's, I, I think people have a tendency to sort of sometimes value stuff and they, 
and they put the number into something that they get, they can think of. Like I see this all the time where somebody's like, man, $10 million is a lot of money. And you're like, relative to what? Like how much money do you make or relative to like how much your car is? But like, you know, and, and, but I, the, the guys over at the, the software defined talk podcast made a sort of an interesting uh, comment. They were, they were talking about this and they said, yeah, you know, a $4 billion valuation probably seemed crazy if you were like Microsoft, if that actually happened. But at the time, I think VMware was a, you know, $40 billion valued company. And so, you know, if you put it in the context of like, hey, you could get in for 10% of VMware, you know, and, and own that and take over this market like that, you know, maybe in those terms of numbers, like wasn't a crazy thing. I think that the, the thing that people misunderstand, and they still sort of misunderstand this with containers is like VMs didn't make you change the application. They just said, we will take cost out of your application. Like that was the value of VMware. Containers, I mean, yes, you can lift and shift a a Linux application to a container, but you know, it doesn't magically make it distributed. It doesn't magically make it sort of cloud native. And I I think people vastly underestimated like the, the change in who you're selling to and the change in what had to happen to get massive numbers of applications in containers. Right. And we were still seeing that evolve, but, uh, yeah, it's it. You know, look. So the the other half of the so Morantis did buy uh, Docker. They they essentially bought the assets and the people that were were Docker EE. The other interesting thing was there is still a company called Docker, right? So there and is they got thirty five million in funding. They got thirty five million dollars in new funding, <laughs> and they now own the Docker sort of developer tool. So that's the other part of this is very interesting. Like I don't know how many people serve, you know are still at regular Docker. Is it twenty? Is it fifty? Is it whatever? Because $35 million won't last very long, depending on how big it is. Um, and they still own things like Docker Hub and stuff, which is, you know, that thing has a huge hosting bill, right? So right. it'll be very, very interesting to see what uh, what Scott Johnson, who's the new CEO, used to run run marketing, um, has planned. I, I, I would love to see the slides that they put in front of um, the folks that gave them $35 million as to how they're going to monetize it. Because we, we could get back to the original question, how are you going to monetize Docker? Yeah. So anyways, that that's sort of a, a long winding uh, one cloud news of the week episode, but we thought that would be a kind of a good a good one to have for this week because it's uh, we may have to come back at some point, maybe an end of the year and talk about kind of, you know, how, how did how did the sort of cloud native and computing space get to where it was given what everybody thought Docker had a way, way, way head start on years ago. Agreed. So, Absolutely. Yep. So with that, uh, we are going to wrap up Cloud News of the Week, and then we are going to jump into kind of reviewing the uh, the announcements from uh, Azure and uh, Microsoft Ignite. Today's Cloudcast is sponsored by our friends at The CyberWire. If you have trouble keeping up with the latest cybersecurity news, we recommend The CyberWire's daily podcast. Each day, they give you an informative 20-minute recap of the latest and most important updates in the industry. They keep their content concise, accessible, and relevant, separating the signal from the noise in an industry overloaded with information and competing messages. We here at the Cloudcast, we listen to stay up to date every day, and we think you should too. So subscribe to the CyberWire today. You can visit thecyberwire.com slash subscribe or search for the CyberWire, C-Y-B-E-R-W-I-R-E, in your favorite podcast app. And we're back. Aaron, it's just you and me today. We are going to, you were out, uh, you were out at Microsoft Ignite last week. How was, how was the event? We, uh, you and I really haven't been to a lot of events, uh, especially doing podcasts uh, in a while. We've been, you know, we've been to a few, but we haven't, uh, we haven't really ever been to the Microsoft Ignite event. So how was that in general? Yeah. So, so first of all, it, yeah, it's my second or third Ignite now. Um, 
And it, it was actually a fantastic show. A lot of people. It is, you know, crazy. It's not on the, you know, AWS reinvent level of crazy, which is probably four times bigger at this point. But it's it's crazy in the fact that it's, you know, like when you go to a VM world, it's it's it it's it's our people, if you will, right? It's like people in our industry who are focused on technology, it's practitioners, it's architects. When you go to something like Ignite, it is, hey, here's the Azure stuff. Oh, here's the Xbox as well. And here's all of the, you know, everything else. Like it is such this big, you know, conglomerate of technologies, some of which you're going to care about, some of which you're, you're not going to care about at all. I will say this though, um, the show felt more upbeat the same way, like some VM worlds were really good in the past and some VM worlds you, you could kind of tell was a down year. Like it, the Ignite show in general felt really, really good, really good show floor, lots and lots of vendors, um, something uh, Microsoft did this year, which was fantastic, which they had um, this whole podcasting area. They had five studios set up and you could sign up for them. And and so we actually did the show last week's show was for one one of those. And, and in talking with them, they actually had recorded 140 Microsoft, either Microsoft shows or community shows about the event or about a technology at the event. I mean, that's pretty freaking impressive. Wow. Um, because, you know, just that, that pure stat, it was like just this machine to just turn out podcasts. So that was really interesting. And, and I would encourage everyone to go listen to that. Um, and, and so it was, it was a fantastic event overall. Um, it is, nice for us personally being in North Carolina to actually have an event in our time zone. So it was down in Orlando, Florida, as opposed to having to do the trek to Vegas or San Francisco or Barcelona or somewhere else. Yep. So it, it is, it's nice to have the, you know, the one show a year that seems to be in our time zone, <laughs> which is also really nice. Yep. Um, and a lot of really good announcements. Um, and that's probably what we should uh, dig into next. Yeah, as well. yeah, definitely. So um, <clears throat> I guess just for the sake of, uh, you know, people, people listening in, um, you know, like you said, Ignite covers a really broad set of, of things for Microsoft and for Azure. So it it obviously, you know, it's it's sort of all cloud-based. So it's it's all going to be about Azure to a certain extent, but it's also going to be things like Office 365 and some of the things that, that you would lump into there. We're not going to cover those so much. I mean, there was a lot of announcements. We'll put some, some links in the show notes, uh, but we're not going to like talk about the latest, you know, thing that's a feature in Word, right? We're going to we're going to mostly focus on the cloud stuff. So if you're if you're at this point and you're going, "Oh man, cool, they're going to tell me about Slack or, you know, the Slack competitor." We're not going to hit on those. We're going to hit on the cloud stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to start with Azure Arc? Yeah, let's talk about Arc. Um so it's it's interesting, uh, you know, 3 4 years ago, um Microsoft announced uh, what was it called? Azure Stack, right? So, yes. um, you know, so you, you, you know, even going back a number of years, you sort of had the, um, the differences between like AWS saying the, the only thing that is cloud is the public cloud. And in their world, it was AWS. And, you know, Google sort of said the same thing. And then Microsoft said, nope, you know what? And again, this is because they had a lot of on-premises, you know, enterprise mid-sized customers. They said, we're going to figure out a way to, to blend the Azure public cloud with something that you're going to want on premises. And they used to have Azure stack. They just announced Arc. And I believe the, the best I sort of understood it, Arc kind of becomes the next generation replacement of the, the sort of offering that is Azure plus Azure stack. And now it's rebranded as Arc. Yeah, it is. And I'll, I'll actually take it one step further as well. So it is exactly that, but it's also, there's this larger trend, um, 
So again, we'll compare and contrast uh, AWS and Azure in all of this. AWS has, for the longest time, it was, hey, there was no such thing as private cloud. There was no such thing as hybrid cloud. There is no other clouds. It's only our cloud. Um, their message has softened over the years, especially as they're trying to get into the enterprise to where AWS is like, okay, we recognize that people might have, you know, on-prem, we recognize people might, you know, want to do hybrid cloud or private cloud, but they're still us. We're still the public cloud. Right. Um, Azure Arc takes a different approach in that there is a multi-cloud world. Azure is willing to recognize there's a multi-cloud world. You can actually say the words multi-cloud and you can actually refer to more than one cloud. And they do directly in this. And, and what this almost is, is a bit of a management control plane to manage, of course, Azure and Azure Stack, but also manage other services in other areas, whether it's, you know, on-prem, whether it's hybrid cloud, whether it's, it's other public clouds. And so it almost becomes this, we want to be your operations control plane, no matter where you are. Right. And, and so the idea is like, I want to, I want to make sure I get the operations aspect of all of these, no matter where you are, because you probably will do this app in this cloud or this app on-prem or whatever. And so that was the other thing that was super fascinating to me is how drastically different Microsoft's message at the event was from what I predict AWS's uh, message will be here in a couple of weeks at reInvent. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I, I think we will see uh, a big splash about about Outpost from from AWS. And I, I think part of it will be because we've now seen, uh, you know, Google has Anthos. They sort of uh, rushed it from, you know, beta and, and uh, an alpha late last year to the spring. It was all of a sudden GA. And they're saying, hey, we'll manage on-premises, at least some subset of on-premises, our cloud. And then they start saying, hey, you can put stuff in other people's clouds. We'll manage something of that. Uh, Arc felt sort of similar to that. Uh, you know, this this thing of like, um, I know you think, you know, com companies will say, hey, we want to run in multiple clouds and they're going to manage that. I, it's still not completely completely clear to me. Like, I get it when you say, hey, uh, I have my software or slash hardware you know, in the cloud and, and on your premises. I get that. We manage sort of like to like. It's still not 100% clear to me how they're going to cleanly manage stuff in other people's clouds, especially if they're trying to hide what the other clouds have to do, yeah. the pricing. And, you know, so I, I suspect what we'll see from that, and I think we're already seeing that kind of from Anthos, is like those are sort of futures and they're, they're sort of putting them out there as PowerPoint for now. Um, you know, maybe there's a demo somewhere, but they're kind of like, Let's see how much people really want this, um, but let's not let's not completely cut that off because that gives us a way of of positioning ourselves against AWS. Yeah, and the other thing to consider when we do these kind of control plane overlays is what do you manage to? Because right. do you have to manage to a lowest common denominator and you end up neutering some of the very specific features of each of those clouds or services? Or right. or do you like, okay, I'm an overlay and you, it's one common interface, but you can go super deep on all of those, which requires a super, super tight level of integration because you're you're trying to abstract away the the problem or the complexity, but at the same time offer that complexity. Right. And so it becomes a, you know, we've seen both attempts in the past from different products in this, this world of almost like manager of managers, if you will. And, right. and they always tend to fall in one bucket or the other. And, and I don't think we've really seen which approach this is. Either. Right. 
Right. Yeah. The only thing I, I noticed, um, and I didn't get a chance to listen to sort of the whole keynote. I kind of got the the snippets part of it, but I, I did pick up that um, Satya Nadella, at least in the keynote, they sort of went out of their way to say, "Hey, we are we are still essentially we want to the relationship with us and our customers to be kind of very pure, right? Microsoft and Microsoft's customers will have a vendor customer relationship, and that's. Like we think that's very important, and they were they were sort of, uh, you know, without explicitly calling it out, saying, "Hey, look, um, your relationship with other people that are cloud providers are likely going to be complicated because the parent company of those cloud providers, whether that's Alphabet or Amazon, is very likely going to get you know at some point get into a lot of your businesses, right? Um, And and I think they I think they've realized like that's another thing that they want to continue to be harping on, um, you know, because. It, it is a reality, right? Like there was a there was an announcement this week. It was really low key. It was kind of under the radar, uh, but Google basically is partnering with um, I think it's I think it's J P Morgan. It might be Citibank and like a credit union in California to basically say, hey, we're in the banking business now. We're kind of you know we're going to start doing some stuff that gets us in the banking business, right? We've seen Amazon get into groceries. We've seen Amazon do other stuff to get into healthcare and. That that worries companies, right? They kind of worry about what's their relationship with these technology companies. Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And the other thing I was going to add too is, I also think this approach, you know, fits in. Although I haven't seen anything yet, but I'm just kind of predicting where this may go next. the The other big arc play is because Microsoft has such a mature partner and enterprise customer business um, compared to the others. Uh, don't get me wrong, AWS is growing, and AWS is you know multi-billion dollar run rate and all of these other things. But at the same time, it it just doesn't approach the partner ecosystem and enterprise account maturity that a lot of times Microsoft just has those, those tentacles in because it's super mature and has been there for, you know, 20 plus years. Um, I could see this arc also being, uh, you know, a bit of a play um, for a lot of the, the channel partners and others that are out there of like, Hey, we can do this assessment and Oh, by the way, we've got this product that'll improve your operations and all of these other things. So I can see this growing in maybe non-traditional, well, non-traditional cloud ways, but very, very traditional enterprise sales play ways. Yep, definitely. I mean, that's, <clears throat> that is another, you know, sort of huge advantage that, uh, that Microsoft has is just, you know, enterprise experience, right? They've, they've worked with those customers for a long time. Um, you know, we see Google trying to hire like crazy to sort of ramp up to that. Amazon has been relatively good at that. The other thing I thought that was sort of interesting about Arc um, that, that I think is sort of in the, in the real category was, you know, back in the Azure Stack days, they made a big deal about saying, well, Azure Stack is software and we're going to partner with sort of the four or five leading hardware server vendors to deliver that. And and that sort of created this sort of weird thing of, well, you know, is, is this a, is this a Dell EMC thing? Is this a, you know, an HP thing? Um, they basically, you know, branded every, you know, they, they branded an HCI product. They branded a stack, you know, sort of a rack of equipment product. I think they've basically realized you, in order to be successful at this, and this sort of follows the, the AWS outpost model, you really probably can't do it if you're relying on these sort of non-cloud hardware vendors to, to be under the covers, right? They're, they're another bottleneck to, to making the deal happen. They're another piece of friction to, between you and the company. It'll be very interesting to see how much traction that gets and how they're able to leverage you know, sales, financing, other stuff without having to involve a sort of a secondary yeah. or third party. I think that's going to, I think that sort of flew under the radar, but I suspect that will be bigger than, uh, you know, that, that'll be a big deal. Such a good point. Such a good point. Um, 
All right, I got another one to move on to if you're ready. Yeah, let's do it. Next one. So uh, the other one that was super interesting for me was was Cortex, um, and it, you know it is uh, almost like a bit officey, but it's you know in the, in the Office three sixty five uh, portfolio. But what was really interesting to me was a, a couple different aspects of this. First of all, it is a new offering in the Office three sixty five portfolio. So it's not just Word and Excel and SharePoint and all the other things that are you know the the things we're used to and have been there forever. And quite frankly, was just an extension of the on-prem software that was, you know, moved into the cloud. Uh, Cortex is this idea of it, it's an AI driven, take all your data, like let's say there's a bunch of data in SharePoint, go look at all that data, ap apply a bunch of algorithms, and then come up with data tagging against it. So it is a little bit of like, how can you go find the needles in the haystack because man, you know, as somebody who's been a SharePoint user in the past and even, you know, it, don't get me wrong at Google drive as well. Like anytime you get these big, large organizations and everyone's trying to store stuff on, you know, the file share somewhere, it's always like, where the hell was that? What folder did I put that in? And how did the, you know, what did that look like? And, and so it's an additional way to do tagging and discovery because as data continues to get centrally stored in one place, it gets harder and harder to find. Um, I actually didn't see it at all, didn't see a demo of it, but I just you know read a bunch about it, and I was like, oh wow, that's super interesting to me because it, you know, this idea, of course, you know, who I've worked for for these last couple of years, you know, data management and data classification and data governance and compliance. This is all things that I kind of live and breathe every day, so that really hit my radar. Yeah, it's. I mean, this is a this is a problem space that sort of is. It's sort of the mouse trap that keeps coming back every every two or three years. Um, you yep. know, everybody, everybody goes, "Hey, you know, enterprise uh, organizations are big and complicated, and collaborating across them is really difficult." Like, if all of your information could somehow be, you know cross-referenced, if you will, right? Throw AI on it, tag it, whatever. Right. Like we could make better decisions. We could find knowledge workers. We could, I mean, IBM tried to do this 10 years ago. Cisco tried to do this because they had all these, you know, communication systems and phone systems. I was involved with some of that. I mean, Google, I'm sure tries to do it if they have you for office. And it, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. Like Microsoft should be very, very good at this. Um, I think they've had multiple tries at it. And um, you know, and, and I think this is another one of those things where, um, you know, they begin to see stuff like Slack happen and, you know, they try to do teams and, uh, you know, it's like, oh man, that's, you know, that, that, that potentially becomes a central place where you collaborate. So we, we need to be tapped into that. So I, I, you know, I think at the end of the day, if you went to, to various office workers and knowledge workers and so forth and said like, Hey, would you like sort of recommended stuff? They'd be like, yeah, probably. And then what ends up happening is it's always like, you know, the long list of, yeah, but what about, you know, <laughs> is my boss going to know that I'm spending too much time? You know, they you get into these sort right. of like weird privacy, creepiness, HR, and these systems just never seem to take off. But, you know, maybe maybe this one will will figure it out because it's, you know, it's got AI behind it. They sprinkled some AI on it. Right. Sprinkle some AI on it. Right. Yes. AI washing is going to be the next thing. Right. Exactly. Well, the other thing I would add, too, is. You know, as you got, you know, GDPR taking over and you've mm -hmm. got the California privacy laws that's, you know, probably going to pass here before too much longer. And once that passes, we'll probably see some other states or maybe even nationally more privacy laws here in the United States. But but this idea of, you know, combination of 
what happens to my my uh, my information internally within your organization, combined with how many copies of the data are. Of course, you know, hey, I can get removed from production copies pretty easy. But what about all the test dev copies that you took my data to, you know, do test dev against? Or what about the offsite copies, you know, backed up somewhere else? So there's a, this idea of can help with the data sprawl concept of like, hey, the little AI runs in the background and starts tagging everything. And so when it's time for compliance of like, how many copies do you need? How long do you need those copies? Go get rid of all those copies. Like that is something that yeah. could be helpful from an organization standpoint and could help with the, you know, what I believe is probably the impending privacy acts that are coming. But to your point, I mean, it's only as good as the AI, right? Yeah, but, uh, you know, that that's a, that's a really... It's a really good point because at some point, you know, these, these systems always kind of uh, up until now, they'd always kind of been, you know, pitched as um, they're going to be great for your organization. Um, people were, you know, the, the end users were always like, eh, I don't, you know, I don't know. It's like, I'm doing okay. Um, <laughs> right. And they were, they were probably very hard to cost justify because it was like, do you want all this extra stuff for the chance that, you know, maybe you'll figure out, you know, the, the one cool idea. But you get the GDPR stuff where it's like, hey, I can put a distinct value of a lawsuit of information being in the wrong country or doing the wrong thing. Or like maybe it becomes a sort of security slash compliance slash, you know, regulation thing. Then you can start putting some numbers against stuff because people know what fines look like versus they know what systems cost. And it may just become something that you just kind of have to do, right? It was sort of like, you know, if you're a public company, you have to have systems that do socks and accounting compliance. This just might be, you know, part of the way this thing gets pitched, right? So yeah. that, that'll be Completely. an interesting angle. And, 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 you know, sometimes everything in technology is timing. And, and maybe, you know, between GDPR and some of the U.S. regulations or other ones, the time will now be right for something like this. Yeah, agreed. agreed. Yeah, the, the last one I had on my list um, was, and 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 this this is where um, you know ignite, and I think Microsoft's still trying to figure this out. Is there's a bunch of stuff going on with with GitHub and Microsoft and Azure that are sort of floating around that don't always get the most press unless you really are really super involved with the GitHub community. Um, but we're seeing more and more interesting things where you know essentially. So you know we've talked about serverless a million times. And, and you go, okay, well, serverless is like, okay, it just runs your code. You don't have to worry about all the other stuff. And we're starting to see more and more of GitHub, um, you know, starting to do some things. They call them, um, like, uh, look it up. It's like GitHub functions or something like that. Um, but it's, it's basically, or GitHub events. Um, it's, you know, essentially them being able to go like, well, your code's here. And we have all this computing resources here that keep track of stuff. And like, maybe we could just sort of start beginning to be your edge uh, sort of serverless thing. And you start to think about that and you go, man, they, they have all this code. If people could start doing that, um, you know, I, I think we're going to begin to see, and this is something we should dig into more and more, like the, the sort of synergies between Microsoft and GitHub and the things that you can do, you know, really, really close to your code. This may be an edge thing. It might be, you know, an IOT thing. It might be, you know, some other type of thing. I think there's a lot more there and Microsoft and GitHub are trying to figure out how do they do it in a way that doesn't make everybody feel like we've locked you into Azure, right? Like they do, but they don't. And that was sort of lightly touched on in the show, but it doesn't really come out as a, as a big bang unless you really live in sort of the GitHub coder world. Yeah, no, it's, it's such a good point because this, and it, this larger idea of how do you, how do you monetize 
something without them feeling threatened. And the only way to really successfully do that that I've seen so far is, is to your point, have some way that just completely reduces friction that it's like, oh, I could just, you know, click this or just integrate this or it automatically does this and I don't even have to think about it, right? And it, this felt, this feels like the baby step right. in that direction of figuring out, okay, what are they willing to do or what are they not willing to do? How does this feel to everybody? Like, the, I completely agree. I think this is the first step towards some of those larger things. And I'm sure there is somebody really, really smart that has a big plan of how we're going to see all of this or how we're going to integrate all of this. But, but yeah, this feels like a, a first step and, and time will tell. Yeah. And we definitely, uh, if, if there's some folks, you know, if they're listening and they've got good contacts over at GitHub, we would love to, uh, to dive into stuff with them, uh, much, much more. So, um, you know, reach out, let us know. Um, what we, we think there's some pretty, pretty interesting stuff going on there. Well, listen, man, I, I think we're going to wrap that up. Uh, it's good to have you back. I know you're going to be getting back uh, involved a little bit more with the podcast here. Cause you're going to have, you know, potentially some, some free cycles to work on it, but, uh, Great to uh, great to kind of recap Azure. Great to hear that uh, that community is doing well. Obviously, they're probably super excited after winning the the big uh, the Jedi contract for ten billion dollars. So probably a little bit of, of uh, you know bravado. But um, yeah, 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 completely. And there is, and I'll just mention this too uh, quickly. It, it may or may not see the light of day. We'll see. But um, uh, Greg Neerman has a, a podcast um, over at, at NetApp, and you were the you were the honorary first guest. Yeah, absolutely um, on the on the podcast. And I actually recorded a podcast with them uh, when when I was at uh, NetApp Insight, so their conference the week before Ignite. Um, I recorded that there, but um, and it was specific specifically about Jedi. It was, it was super interesting, super fun, but also I'll be completely honest with you. We recorded it in the morning when the show floor was super loud. <laughs> I don't even know that that audio is usable. So quite frankly, it may be a, a really good podcast that was just lost to time. So right. we, we shall see. Yeah. Yeah, we will, uh, we'll, put it, we'll put a link in the show notes for that. So, all right, folks, with that, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, thank you to everybody who listens, who tells a friend, who ranks the show on uh, iTunes or wherever you listen to it. And uh, with that, we're going to wrap it up and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 